0: If you have a Bible, you can find the book of Acts. It's the fifth fifth book in the New Testament, Acts chapter 12. You can use your uh, device if you want to look it up that way. And for an introductory thought, I have bubble wrap. Woo! Woo! You might not be as happy. I found out something yesterday about bubble wrap. You know what? Apparently they've changed it. Yeah, look at this. I can't pop it. Somehow, they have created a technology that when I do this, it just squeezes the air into the other, did you know this? Is this not tragic? How many of you, like, are not gonna get through your day now because, I told somebody uh, earlier this morning and I just began, I said, look, they've changed bubble wrap so that you can't pop it, and her face went, what? And then she told me the story about how she and a friend were having a difficult day, and they'd spread out bubble wrap and run across the bubble wrap, and it made everything better. Look at that, you guys. The world's coming to an end. (laughs) Bubble wrap crisis. I, (laughs) I use that as an introductory thought to the reality of every once in a while, or really quite regularly, there are parts of life that stink. Like, that just stinks. I, about 10 days ago, I just paused, uh, related to the topic we're going to uh, talk about today, I paused and I made just a little list of things in my life that in that moment were like stinky things. Things like, because of COVID, I was not going to be allowed to go to my daughter's athletic event. I'm like, well, that stinks. What, and I, then I, I wrote down, uh, oh, I have a new backache. It's just a new one. When you get our, anybody that, where you're like, Wait a minute! That's a new one. You see, you just kind of go on. I had a, a new back ache, a new ache in my back. Um, oh, this one was this one was a little more stinky. I was reminded of our dog that is lost. We our dog. We came home in July, uh, and uh, Bailey the dog. This is a picture of Bailey the dog. I would do my Bible time with Bailey the dog. Like thousands of times, I would be on my front porch with my Bible time, and this was one of the times I clicked a picture of Bailey, the dog, and it was my friend, the dog, and Bailey's gone. We don't know, and we don't know, like, where Bailey went. So if you have Bailey, you, <laughs> butter, you know, and so it's, it's okay, but it was a little, that wouldn't make me a little sadder when I was thinking, oh, some stinky things in my life. We're, we're puppyless right now. Something that was even worse, I was in this time when I was making this list, I had just recently found out that a friend was transitioning from uh, medical care, regular medical care into hospice care. And you're like, oh, that's a, that's a thing. And I used those ideas to bring up a thought, and I'm going to call it the why God moments in life. Why, God? Uh, here's the definition. I just put this together. But I think maybe you'll relate. It's those moments where we think, if you are good and powerful, why is this happening? A major one in the last year or so was when my mom was dying and, uh, and on hospice care, and they said she'll be passing away in the next two days. You know, like five days later, six days later, as mom was struggling to breathe, there were at least a number of times where I'm like, come on, God. Why is this? Ha-? You know, we, I all, we knew what was going to happen. She was going to pass, pass away. She was going to transition. But can we just, like, how, what's up with this? Can we, why, God, let's do this? I think most of us have those moments. If you've not had one, you probably will when life gets really hard. Just so you know, the Bible includes them. Uh, writers write about why God moments. We might call them that. In Psalm 10, 1, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That person's in a difficult challenge. The next comes from F- Psalm 40. Two, this guy's having a bad day. My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? And if you ever wanted to say back in that kind of a situation, I don't know where he is right now. Even Jesus had a why Lord, why, Father, moment on the cross. Some of you will remember this. He's on the cross, dying for the sins of the world. By the way, he's right in the middle of the Father's will. And, he says about, and it says, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To hold those thoughts, we are kicking off a series called Asking for a Friend. And we're going to try to address some of the more difficult questions that a lot of us have that are connected to a uh, a spiritual life. Difficult questions about God or how life works and and those things. Uh, And just a side note, we're offering a book with this series called, If You Could Ask God One Question. And I think this is going to be a good read. Uh, some of the the things that the book addresses, here's some questions. If you're really there, God, why don't you prove it? Isn't the Bible just a book of made-up stories? All good people go to heaven, right? If you're a God of love, why send anyone to hell? If Jesus was really was your son, how come he got killed? It's just really good to think. So you may want to check that out. I was just told before this service started, we may be running out, but we'll order more. And so these are available at the Resource Center, both locations, probably worth a read. Today, um, I hope to bring some help into those why God moments. Just a side note, we did a survey uh, uh, end of July, beginning of August, to try to figure out what questions are people asking. And this was the largest theme in all of the, uh, in all of the survey. These, this is an example of some of the questions that people asked. Why do bad things happen to good people? How about the specificity of that? Is that a word or did I just make that up, that specificity? Is that a word? Is that a word? I like it all of a sudden. Is that a real word? Oh, forget it. We'll go on. Look at, look at this. How can God be real if he let me lose my mom to suicide? That's real life, isn't it? Or the next one, why did my baby die? Those are hard questions. I'll be up front. Um, boy, I wish I could answer all those perfectly. Not going to happen. Um not in a 30-minute talk or a 30-day talk, because there are some things that we just don't know all of the specifics about. There's an important verse in Isaiah 55 that says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, this is the Lord talking, my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. There are some things about God we will never know perfectly, but... And so, so even as we... Do this talk today. Some of the things that we're going to talk about will not take necessarily the pain away from why did my child die. Does that make sense? Like, There's nothing that we can say that will fix all of the pain of those things. But I would tell you there are some things that we can know about God that can help us in the midst of those painful situations. And so that's the goal today. Acts chapter 12, here's the background. It's early church time, and uh, Jesus Christ has come. He's died on the cross. He's risen from the grave, and now he has empowered the church, people, individuals to be like him and share the good news of Christ. There's opposition to that, and so some of the people that are in charge are beginning to persecute some of the apostles and teachers In the church. Um, At first glance, this story is a great story of God's goodness and power because he's going to set an apostle, his name is Peter, miraculously he's going to set him free from jail. It's really a cool story. But the why God moment, so pay attention, the why God moment comes at the end of the story when there's a just a verse or so about a group of Uh, men that die, and arguably, it wasn't their fault. They get accused of something. It wasn't their fault, but they still end up dying, okay? So, I'll read some, and I'll sum part of the story up. Verse 1, Acts 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword, and when he saw that this met with the approval met with approval among the Jews he proceeded to seize Peter also verse 4 after arresting him he put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each I did some really complicated math that's 16 soldiers got a calculator out figured that out for you And that'll be important toward the end of the story. To verse 5, Herod intended to bring out for, okay, so then Herod intended to bring him out for public trial. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison. Sorry, I want to highlight something. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now let me sum up like 10 verses here. God sends an angel to Peter in jail to set him free from this, you know, prison difficult situation. And it's kind of a spooky and miraculous story. Take some time to read it. Angel comes and wakes up Peter. Peter's all chained up, but as soon as he stands up, like the chains fall off of his arms and his legs. And then he quasi invisible something happens so that he just goes walking with the angel just walking through the jail but no one in the jail sees him walking out of the jail now that'd be something and then he gets to one gate on the way out of the jail and the gate just like just nobody even has to open the gate it just it makes that sound it doesn't do that and so then he walks out and it's so kind of spooky miraculous weird that Peter himself actually, in the experience, is wondering, is this a dream, or is this real? Is this like, so, but then he gets outside of the jail, and it's like, this is a real thing, and so then he goes to where the church has been praying, and there's a little bit of a celebration, yeah, it's all that kind of thing, right? Isn't that a cool story? You should read it. Well, let's read the end of the story. After the miraculous escape, it says, In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. Yeah, he's gone. No one knows how or why or what happened. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, here's the thing, he cross-examined the guards. That's the 16 guys. And ordered that they be executed, now, can I submit to you that's a pretty stinky moment if you're one of the guards, and they say, "Hey, yeah, we can't find him, and so you're dead and you're dead and you're dead and you're dead that's a that's a little uh, disappointing. What if you're the wife? some of these guys if they're married, what if you're the wife and and, you know, Hank doesn't come home. Well, and they, so then, of course, they can't call the jail. They pick up their cell phone, Bible time, pick up the cell phone. He's not responding to texts. What happened? And because Herod execu- had him executed. What if you're the child who, for the rest of their life, grows up, and what happened to my dad? Well, he was executed. Those are why God moments. I noticed this part of the story years and years ago. I thought, wow. That's a disappointing day. That's an understatement. The question that we're addressing today is, why did God let this happen? And I want to explore two principles or ideas that I see in the text that will help us the next time we have one of those why God Moments. And I've already said it, but I'll say it again. These things will not necessarily fix the pain of the moments, but I think it'll help carry us through. And so I've got two ideas I see in the text. Let's pray, and I'll uh, move ahead. Father, I pray for people that have had these moments in the past. I pray for people that right now, I know there's uh, one situation in our church where uh, a woman's husband just died. Uh, a handful of days ago, heart attack. That's rough. Gosh, that's such an understatement just to say that's rough. There's also those of us, we're going to face moments like this in the future. And will you somehow set the stage for us, maybe not feeling the pain, but making it through. Talk to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got two ideas that will help us better understand tragedy. And so the first idea, if you want to write it down, is tragedy is better understood by acknowledging God's bigger picture. If you want to write something down, you just write big picture, the bigger picture, God's bigger picture. And I would submit to you, apparently, the bigger picture, what God is driven by, in this text is more the story of Peter than the discomfort and tragedy of the guards. If you just look at it by number of verses, there's like 15 verses on the story of Peter. And the poor guards get a sentence at the end. Right? He cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Now, I don't want to say that God doesn't care about the guards. If you take a good, healthy read of the Bible, you'll know Matthew 10.29 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. So just to wrap this up, does God care about the guards? Say yes. I mean, he does. There's evidence all through this. Yes, he does. So here's the hard part. Apparently, God is prioritizing the Peter narrative over this, the guard's story. Now what I want to do, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? If you're one of the guards. But what I want to do is try to give you a little bit of rationale why God is or might be doing this. Historical context here. God is in the midst of embarking on this major plan to save the world. Everybody say world, right? World, try it again, because that was really average here. World, world, right? For God so loved the world. That's a big picture. That's what's on his heart. That's why Jesus came, died on the cross. Why? What's the big picture? We got a world that's a mess. That's billions of people that are a mess right? So the answer is Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, went up to heaven. He's empowered this small group of people at this point. Peter is one of the apostles that is going to be significant in the the, the playing out of propagating the gospel through the whole world. And that's important to know that side of the story. Ten chapters earlier, Peter guy who's getting saved from the prison situation, preaches the very first Christian message outside of the messages that Jesus preached. First person to be bold enough to stand up and clarify what Jesus was about. If you look in Acts chapter 2, it says... Those who accepted his message. Whose message? That's Peter. He's the one who stood up and preached in the midst of some confusion. We're baptized. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. Peter's pretty important in this. And by the way, if you would follow Peter's family tree from back 2,000 years ago, of all of the countless people that would be saved, changed in this life, and saved, protected uh, forgiven for all eternity. Bill. I think. If you could do the family tree thing, it might be billions of people because of what Peter is going to do, what he what he did do, and what he's going to do in the next 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years of his life. That's one idea on big picture why god is doing what he did knowing that herod would kill these guards here's the idea you can write it down god often prioritizes his master plan over an individual's collateral damage god Prioritizes his master plan over an individual's collateral damage. Now, depending on your understanding of God, this right here is a grow up moment. Because this teaches us that we are not the center of the world, God's world, his plan. We're a part and he cares. This kind of pushes against the pop culture theology of God's just, he's like my good shepherd. He just just hovers around me. He's like the best grandma ever who just says, you know, whatever you want, sugar, because you're the all in all. And just some of us have been told that too much, and it makes it hard for us to follow a God who, by the way, doesn't just care about us, he cares about the whole world. Is this a lot of fun yet so far? You're not the center of the universe. Did you know that? I know, I'm so sorry. Some people, are, they're going to get up. They're just clicked off online. They're like, that's not right. I am the center. Mamaw told me I was. <laughs> Mamaw was wrong. And here's the challenge with some of that thinking. we got to grow up in that. Because if you live very long in life, you'll realize, apparently not, Apparently, I'm not the center of the universe because it is sure not submitting so that I feel warm and fuzzy all the time. It's just, it's the way it works. So you might as well get ahead of the learning curve so that when life is not warm and fuzzy, then we can figure, well, it's okay. God is still in control. I'm not going to run from God because this is part of the deal every once in a while. It's in the, in the scripture, God, to prioritize a part of his plan, would, would bless some people, and he would take some stuff away from some other people. In the, when God was taking the Israelites, God's people in the Old Testament, to the promised land, it's, it's, some Egyptians died to get them to the promised land. It's part of the story. Did you know Jesus regularly disappointed people? No, yeah, he really did. Can I, can I give you a little side, Holy Spirit? I think, I think I'm supposed to say this. I just I wrote it down in the middle of the, yesterday when I was thinking. I would just challenge you. I would invite you to make sure that we're reading the Bible with some depth. You know, two verses a day, you guys, while you're resting in your rest room, is <laughs> not going to build a foundation for you to make it through. Why did my baby die? We've got to start reading this book more, with more depth, not in a hurry, not somebody else reading it to us, not reading a book about what somebody else who is reading the book to read. We're going to have to get into this book so that we can learn more and more about how God really works. Jesus, every so often, disappointed people. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus just started his public ministry of miracles. Um, he had just done an evening of miracles. He's just embarking on, like healing all kinds of people. And so, so this would have been an amazing gathering of people getting healed on, let's say, Tuesday night. And so Tuesday night. It's, I don't know whether it's Tuesday, but all this stuff happens. And so, of course, the result of that is people begin to hear, there's a miracle guy in town. The next morning, Jesus gets up early, goes out to pray, and the disciples are looking for him because everybody from town is coming. They're all gathering because everybody who's got a sickness or a problem is like showing up the next day. And here's what it says. The disciples said to Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. What? What do you mean let us go somewhere else? And he also clarifies, so I can preach there also, that is why I have come. Not just for here, but bigger picture. Can you imagine if you're the mom who brings the daughter who's 13 years old and has been having daily seizures her whole life? And when you get there in the morning and then somebody says, yeah, he went on to the next city, that's a bad day. I was between services today, and somebody said, if I was that woman, I'd run to wherever the next city was. And I'm like, that's a, that's a good, that's not this sermon, but that's another sermon. If you miss out, then go running and chasing after Jesus, when, you know, because he's still available. You just got to chase him down. But this message is this God is driven by big picture. Now, Just so you know, this idea of God being driven to save the world and and this big picture mentality really is helpful and it helps us get beyond those little stinky moments where we're frustrated that God has not made my life easier. Why do I have to try on 12 pairs of jeans just to get something that that I could possibly bend over in? Right? Come on, God. What were you thinking when you made this? <laughs> or whatever, you know, those goofy things that we have that were where we we like, you no, know, none of you? Like, why did you make this, this? You know, those things that we blame God. Like, oh, come on, God, why isn't happening to me? You're all powerful. Fix this. (laughs) And it helps to know God is more concerned about the big picture. And even when we're talking about really, really, really painful, important things, it's helpful for me when my mom is gasping for air and I'm watching her die and holding her hand, it's good for me to know during those three days God has a bigger picture plan. Her transition is going to happen. And because she knows Jesus, she's going to be in heaven those big, big big picture things help us get through those moments. 2 Corinthians 12.8. Paul had a physical ailment. No one knows exactly what it was. But it must have been a, a pain. He calls it the, a thorn in the flesh. Whether that was a physical illness, a, a spiritual tormenting, something. But Paul says, by the way, Paul's a big deal. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, no. But, big, but we're going on. So let's bring this into the room. How aware am I of the bigger picture? It's a good question. Stay aware of the big picture. And can I give you an example of of a young lady in the church who inspired me with her big picture thinking? Up on the screen, there's a picture of London. I think we have a picture of her. There she is. She got baptized, I think, this last... would have been maybe two two summers ago. She wrote me a letter. Now, some of you have never seen a letter before. Like, you take a pencil, and you write words out on it. There's no keyboard involved. You actually write like this. And so she wrote me this letter. Uh, this was in August of this year. And she says, I'm Lon- Dear Pastor Mark, I'm London. I'm 12, but almost 13. Remember that? When you used to like, hey, I'm almost 13. Okay. I wanted to write this letter to thank you for helping me grow my faith in God. Since we came to Vineyard, I got baptized and my faith has grown. Now, don't get me wrong. I still have times when I get confused why bad things happen. For example, today I found out that I was tested positive for COVID. And I'm confused why I got positive because I prayed and prayed that my family and I would stay safe. So I don't know why I still got tested positive. Now listen to this though. But I also know that this is a blessing that we found out. Because tomorrow we were supposed to see family that is at high risk. You see the bigger picture that she sees there? I also know that I need to stay positive and know that God has a plan and everything happens for a reason. See, that's a 12-year-old with some big-picture thinking. How about us? Big-picture thinking. So, tragedy is better understood acknowledging God's bigger picture. I got one more thing I want to talk about. Tragedy is better understood recognizing evil-intentioned people. Write down people. In Acts chapter 12, the, the verse 19, just want to emphasize: Herod, Herod had a thorough search for Peter and didn't find him. And he cross-examined the guards, had him executed. Who's the bad guy in the story? Herod, Herod, right? Here's a fill-in-the-blank: You can put this in. God is not the villain in this story. God is not the villain in this story. It's Herod who killed the 16 soldiers. I wonder how many times God gets wrongly accused for stuff that he is not the mean guy. Listen, God did not get that driver drunk before he had that accident and killed that family. Can I just clarify that? God did not get that guy drunk. Who got that guy drunk? The guy got drunk. I'm going to go on a tangent. I can feel it. Oh gosh. We're living in a culture that is diminishing the capacity of human beings to be evil and stupid and hurtful. Oh, the dude got drunk. And we also cannot blame that on well he has a disease. God did not give him a disease. God didn't make him have the drink. There is a there's a huge I'm going on a tangent today. There is a huge missing piece, piece culturally of our own personal responsibility. When I hurt people, that's me hurting people. That's not God hurting people, and I cannot quickly go, "Oh, well that's I'm just I have a tendency to hurt people." Shut up and repent and quit that and run to Jesus and say, God, help me not hurt people. There's this, this thing going on culturally it's all messed up. God is not causing pain. God's the redeemer. He's the savior. He's trying to intervene in the midst of the pain. Herod is the dirt bag in the story, not God. God did not get that drunk driver drunk. God does not provoke people to be bullies. God did not give my mother Parkinson's disease. That's not God did not do that. Or my friend, cancer. Or make your boss a booger on Tuesday. God didn't do that. The boss did that all by himself. And also maybe had some help from the devil. And when you're a jerk on Friday... God's not making you do that. God's not the bad guy. One of the great traps, plans of the enemy is for us to begin to blame God, to think God is evil, God is not evil. There's an evil one who's trying to promote this idea of an evil God who does not care and who does not know what he's doing, and that is wrong. From the beginning, Since sin entered the picture, God gets wrongly accused. Some of you have heard me make this point before. Genesis 3. Eve and Adam disobey God and mess up the system. And when God comes to them and says, what is going on? (laughs) This is paraphrased. What happened, you guys? Why are you hiding? Why are things messed up? And it says that Adam says, the woman you put here with me. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, God, this is on you. You're the one who made her. Isn't that interesting? But the first time I ever noticed in the next verse, in the next verse, God says, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? He did not take the common approach. What did we do, sugar? What did we do? Now, what did we do here? He didn't say that. What did you do? God didn't mess this up. She did, and then Adam did. It wasn't God's fault. James 1, Don't be deceived. That's what it says. Whenever you read the Bible and it says don't be deceived, you can probably bank on the fact that we have a tendency to be deceived in this area. Whatever follows... Probably it's pretty commonplace to be. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. God is good. God is perfect. God did not bring that tragedy in your life. Whatever it is. As we get ready to wrap up, listen. We shouldn't be blaming God. We should be running to him. Because God's the redeemer of the tragedy. He's the one who stays with us in the midst of the pain. In Psalm forty-six, one it says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Yay. Because trouble's going to come. And we need a God who will come alongside us and help us through. I want to give you one little side assignment. We're out of time. But j- just for your own Bible exploration, you may want to look at Because God's an ever-present help in trouble. If you read the next five verses after the verses that we read, you see, I I wonder if part of God's help in the midst of this trouble was God took Herod out in the next story. It it says that, that Herod was in front of a bunch of people and didn't give glory to God, and God took him out. And I wonder, don't know for sure, I wonder if the timing of that had something to do with the fact that 16 men had just been killed. There's, there's a number of women probably going, God, what, a, what are you doing here? And kids, and I wonder if God didn't say, that guy's, that guy's gone. Now, that doesn't fix all the pain of the situation, but it might help a little bit if you're the wife and then the guy who had your husband killed gets what he deserves. Last fill in the blank. An important equalizer of confusing moments is the, availability, the available presence of a personal God. Why don't you stand and we're going to pray? Following uh, dismissal over here, I'm going to lead a two-minute group prayer for anyone who has been stuck in a tragedy in the past or maybe right now. I'm just going to pray, God, will you help us lean into you and not get stuck in the difficulty? And so if that's you, you'll know very quickly. I'm just going to pray for at the most three minutes and pray that God will come alongside us in the midst of tragedy and help us not to get stuck in that. There's also be a prayer team over here to pray about anything going on in your life. Let's close. God, thank you for this time. I thank you for the Bible. I thank you for who you are. And I ask forgiveness for me. There are times, God, I blame you for stuff, and you were never the source or origin of that pain. You just weren't. Really, you're the hope in the midst of it. I pray a blessing on the prayer team as they serve folks. And I do pray that these principles will stick in our minds and in our souls. Stick, 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 stick in there. So that it will help us navigate the difficulties of life. In Jesus' name.